The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Helix Sleep. I got my Helix mattress for my guest bedroom at first. I knew they were going to be sponsors and I wanted to try it out, but I already had a mattress for my bed and I was going to have to get a guest one anyway. And here's the thing. I have now slept on that Helix mattress and it is more comfortable than my bed. So I have to face a decision. Do I want to be a great host or do I want to sleep well? Helix Sleep has a quiz that takes just two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you, which is why that mattress is so comfortable for me. It's the mattress that's made for me, so maybe it should be in my bedroom, right? I'll keep thinking. Why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect for the way you sleep. Everyone's unique and Helix knows that, so they have several different mattress models to choose from. They have soft, medium, and firm mattresses, mattresses that are great for cooling you down if you sleep hot, mattresses that are great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains, and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus-sized sleepers. I took the Helix quiz and I was matched with their Sunset Lux mattress because I'm a side sleeper and I need a soft mattress that will sink enough to make my neck stay aligned. And I gotta say, this mattress combined with a nice firm pillow gives me some of the most comfortable night's sleep I've ever had. I am slowly convincing myself to move the Helix into my bedroom, by the way. If you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. Helix is awesome, but you don't need to take my word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired magazine. Helix has been recommended by multiple leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine as a go-to solution for improving sleep. Just go to helixsleep.com friends and take their two-minute sleep quiz. They'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights, risk-free. They'll even pick it up for you if you don't love it, but you will. Helix has financing options and flexible payment plans, so a great night's sleep is never far away. Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattresses and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com friends. I'm going to tell you about a show that I think you will enjoy. Before you judge it by the name, which is not safe for work, 
Give it a listen because you won't be disappointed. The show is Uneffing the Republic or UnFTR for short. It's a smart, funny, and really well produced show. The New York Times called it one of the top podcasts to listen to in the post Trump era. UnFTR offers a thorough analysis of socioeconomic and political issues with an appropriate level of profanity given the subject matter. They cover everything from the economics of racism and mass incarceration to indigenous rights and climate change. And they hate, and I mean really hate, Milton Friedman. We also love that UnFTR is not only listener-supported through memberships, but it's also funded through a unique partnership with a native coffee roasting company in an effort to support indigenous economic development. Visit unftr.com or search UNFTR on your podcast app. You can also sign up for UnFing the Republic newsletter for free at unftr.substack.com. So check out UnFing the Republic at unftr.com. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. This week, I am talking with friend of the pod, Adam Serwer. He's a writer for The Atlantic and coined the phrase, the cruelty is the point. He's also the author of the book, The Cruelty is the Point, The Past, Present, and Future of Trump's America. If, like me, you find yourself using that phrase a lot, You'll want to hear his thoughts on what he thinks that means and the kind of thing he thinks it truly describes. But we spend most of the show talking about Texas. Adam is not from here, but he currently lives in San Antonio and he's written a bunch about what's going on in our state. The reason I wanted to talk to him is that I think, and I know he agrees, that what's happening in Texas provides some important lessons for the rest of the country. So, a conversation about Texas that's really about everyone with Adam Serwer coming right up. Adam, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So you're a fellow Texan. Uh, You live in San Antonio, just up the way from me here in Austin. Uh, I understand Austin's grown so much. Some people think of San Antonio as like a bedroom community of Austin, but. um, That's so weird to me because the vibes are very different. I agree. <laughs> I totally agree. Like, to me, and I don't mean this as an insult, Austin feels to me like a mashup of, like, Nashville and San Francisco. I don't know if that makes any sense. <laughs> there's, like, I'm not going like, to call this, that an insult, but it's, not an insult. it's interesting. It's like, Go it's ahead. Like a, Go there's, ahead. like, this, Go like, ahead. music culture aspect, but there's also, like, this tech culture aspect, and those two things are sort of mashed up together. Um, and there's like a kind of a Southern flavor to it, but also kind of like a West Coast, like, you know. Okay. All right. Thing. All right. Now tell me about San Antonio. I mean, San Antonio is, I mean, it's, it's an interesting city because, I mean, it's one of the oldest cities in Texas. Um, it is a majority Mexican American city. It is also a very military city. Um, you know, a substantial military population. Um, and, you know, I, I think it has a con- it has a, you know, like a lot of other cities in America, it has like a, a kind of um, a progressive counterculture aspect to it. Um, but it's also not I, I would not describe I, I mean, it's obviously it's a democratic city, but I would not describe it as a liberal city in the way that Austin is a liberal city, if that makes any sense to, you know, uh, it's just it's a, it's a different flavor of liberalism uh, than Austin, I would say. Has had some pretty progressive mayors, though. Yes. 
our, our current mayor is kind of a funny guy. He's like a very normie type, but he's also like a, a weightlifter. So he, <laughs> there's like a, there's like an article <laughs> in the paper here um, a, a couple of years ago uh, where it was like it was some it, it was something where it was like uh, you know. Ron Nuremberg is pumped to be running and there's like a picture of him like putting up a couple of plates. <laughs> it's very funny. Um but he's like we have like nonpartisan mayor well, elections. Um, but he's so but he but he's like obviously like the liberal candidate. Um and he beat like the police unions guy like you know uh last year. Um which was, you know, I, I think uh it, it was not necessarily a foregone conclusion um given the trends around the country, but I would only add to your Austin mashup, uh, Madison, or another college town. I mean, oh yeah, I can see that's that. maybe just my perspective because I was a faculty brat here. Mm-hmm. But the university—it's one of the largest, you know, state schools in the country, if not mm-hmm. the largest. So, like, it exerts an incredible amount of influence on the culture here. Um, and of course, there's just a bunch of weirdos. That's also the San Francisco mm-hmm. element. Um, I'm actually glad we started off this way because. I want to talk about Texas. And one of the reasons I want to talk about it is I feel like it's a bit misunderstood. And in specifically, people do paint it with a broad brush uh, and forget that even the cities here have differences between them. (laughs) And yet, since it is almost its diversity actually is what makes it a snapshot of the country as a whole in many ways. And Other people have made this argument, and I just want to drill down deep on it with you, which is that Texas has some lessons for the rest of the country as far as the future of politics goes. You've made that argument as well. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think, you know, even if you look at what's happening right now, I mean, I think Texas has this reputation as this this kind of place, uh, you know, sort of cowboy state. Um, And the truth is that a lot of people... Um, come here to play cowboy. I mean, one of them obviously was George Bush, whose family is, uh, you know, <laughs> aristocratic blue bloods from Connecticut and Maine. Um, but then, you know, guys like Dan Patrick, who, who you know, uh, is like famous for running off at the mouth on Fox News and stuff like that. Uh, you know, he's originally from Maryland. Um, you know, there is... Um, but part of the lesson there is, is that the way that Texas is organized and, and the Texas legislature is, is working on this right now um, is they the Republicans have been very effective in gerrymandering the state in order to ensure that, um, you know, Republicans and particularly conservatives are overrepresented in the government. Um, so that, you know, in part accounts for, you know, why every time. You know, the, 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 the Texas keeps finding like 50 different ways to ban abortion every year instead of dealing with the state's actual problems. Uh, that's not to say that Texas is not a conservative state, uh, but it is a state of tens of millions of people. Uh, so, there, you know, there are more Democrats here than in like, you know, any five, just about any five states you could put together. Um, so there's, you know, the, the Texas's reputation among liberals and, and it's sort of you know, I think this is largely an East Coast thing. Not, you know, I, I feel like it, it's you hear less from liberals on the West Coast or the Midwest. Um, but there is, you know, the, you know, blue Texas is erased by the reputation of red Texas, which both the state leadership and Republicans outside of the state have uh, an interest in overstating. 
Um, and Texas, you know, is, is still a red state, it's still a conservative state, but it's gotten like 10, 15 points blue over the past 20 years um, in, in keeping with trends that, you know, are present uh, in the United States and the rest of the United States, but also in some cases in the rest of the Western world. And we talked about this a little bit, and I suspect you've had the same experience that I have, which is since moving here, I have had friends express condolences to me about living in Texas or, or be kind of outright snide about it, like judgmental. Yeah. I mean, look, uh, there's uh, um, sometimes like, uh, you know, I'll invite people to visit, um, you know, because housing is more affordable than Texas and we have, you know, space to have, you know, <laughs> well, not in Austin, out. but okay. Yes. yes. But in San Antonio, it's still the case, even though, you know, San yes. Antonio's had some trouble but, too, particularly on, on, when it comes to uh, low income housing for the same reasons everybody else has, which is that people don't want to build more housing. It's extremely frustrating. Um, but, uh, you know, when I invite people, a lot of people are just like, why would I ever go to Texas? And it's like, because there's a loss of, I mean, it's pretty, it's politics aside, and there is a lot more to life than politics. There's a lot to like about the state in terms of its culture, music, food, um, people, you know, everything is not, um, Everything about a state is not summed up by the color it turns on a on, on a map on election night um, it, w when someone's running for president. Ironically, you know, this is like Barack Obama's point in 2004 that like rocketed him to the Democratic nomination, uh, which is that, you know, the, uh, blue states and red states is, is a reductive shorthand for describing the politics of the country. And it still is to this day. Um, but because conservatives elevate this particular aspect of Texas's culture, it, it becomes a kind of bait uh, where liberals, uh, where some liberals look at the state and that's all they see is the conservative caricature, which, you know, really does not reflect the diversity of culture and people in the state. And I think this is one of the biggest lessons I hope people take away from our conversation. Although, I, like I said, I want to drill down to some specifics, which is that when you make these assumptions about Texas, you're actually playing into conservatives' hands. You are elevating this image that, that perpetuates Texas as a conservative state. And the other thing you're doing, and this is a way that Texas is, is representative of the whole country, is you're doing the same thing that the rest of the world does about America a lot of the times, right? Like, because I've traveled abroad and had a similar reaction <laughs> when I said I'm from the US. Like, not everyone gets that. And some people are a little more polite about it. But it's the same pattern, right? Yeah, I mean, look, and you look at how, um, you know, what's happening down here, which is that you know, Greg Abbott is governing to the right because, because he has a pair of primary challengers and he does not want to lose the, um, he, he does not want to have either Fox News or Donald Trump um, coming after him. He doesn't want to lose their good graces. So he's governing to the right of where the, the state actually wants him to govern, even though it is a conservative state. Um, and then you look at uh, the, um, because he thinks that if he wins his primary, then uh, you know, the rest of, you know, it, the, the general election will be easy because Texas hasn't elected a, a Democrat to statewide office since like Star Trek The Next Generation was on. Um, so he, yeah, it's been a long time. Um, and so, uh, you know, and then you look at the state legislature, which despite some gains, particularly in the Rio Grande Valley with Latino voters, is like drawing um, an extremely effective racial gerrymander of the state. Um, in which they're de deliberately diminishing the power of black and Latino voters in Texas to make sure that Republicans can be elected 
regardless of how the public feels about how they govern. Now, this is happening in other parts of the country as well, but it's important to look at Texas because it is such a populous state, because it has so many big cities. You could see the like, you know, Texas has long been a kind of on the vanguard of figuring out ways to make politicians unaccountable to the citizens they represent. Um, so this, it, you know, the, the, what they're doing in the state legislature now, you know, not just with the voting law that they passed a while ago, um, but but with the drawing of the legislative districts is is fundamentally an attempt in insulating Republican politicians from any backlash they might incur from, uh, you know, governing in a way that most people in Texas don't actually want them to govern. And then there is a, a there is the sort of cycle effect of that, which is that liberals look at the way Texas is, is governed and look at Republicans getting elected over and over again and just assume, oh, well, people in Texas must love that when that's not actually, you know, that's an, an obvious oversimplification. I would encourage people to look at some of the maps that have been drawn because they are objectively hilarious. Uh, there is one that is shaped like a donut. Like literally there is a district inside another district in order to dilute the people of color's vote in that area. And there's there are districts that are like, um, you know, basically a mile wide and an inch deep, as it were, like they're incredibly thin. There's, well, there's a few sort of shaped like a dumbbell, I would say, you know, like really thin on the interior and then capturing the suburbs on the exterior. My understanding is that these are going to face some challenges in court. They are, but, you know, we have, there are six conservative appointees on the court and the conservatives have basically said actually it's more racist if you notice that they're discriminating against <laughs> that's right that's right color. it's actually more racist if you do that it's not racist if you deliberately try to disenfranchise voters of color um and when you know what's weird and i, I want to be careful about this because the fact that republicans are so committed to not being accountable um, to black and Latino voters does not mean that they cannot win those voters over. I mean, it, I think if you look at Trump's gains in the Rio Grande Valley, um, you know, what Democrats in the state have told me is that there's a couple reasons for it. Uh, one is that, you know, um, in a lot of these places, uh, Hispanic voters are very culturally conservative. Um, you know, uh, it, in some of these counties, you know, all the authority figures are um, Hispanic, all the cops, the judges, you know, so, so the, the kind of multiracial alliances you see against like discrimination and law enforcement in cities those don't that, that that kind of rhetoric doesn't have the same salience doesn't have the same meaning um in a county that is like 90 percent hispanic um the other thing they've said to me is that you know when you look at extraction industries you know oil industries stuff like that or you look at um um you know uh border agencies employ a lot of people in these counties along the border um and so there's like an it's not just there's an economic interest in supporting the party that is going to support fossil fuel, the, the fossil fuel industry and is going to support uncritically, um, you know, uh, border security agencies. Um, you know, when 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 Biden said uh, during the last debate, uh, you know, that we're going to have to um, wean ourselves off of oil, you know, that may be like a realistic assessment, obviously, if we don't want to cook the entire planet. Um, but people who, who work in the oil industry, uh, you know, and are worried about their jobs are, are going to take exception to that. Um, and that's just, you know, that, that's just the way that, that it works. So, that, you know, I think it's one thing to say and observe that Republicans are discriminating against, um, you know, 
black and Latino voters in Texas. It does not necessarily mean that by virtue of them doing that, that Democrats are automatically going to win their votes. And I, I see that assumption a lot. Um, and it, I think it, it it has a terrible effect because it demobilizes, um, you know, the party uh, from attempting to persuade those voters uh, or give them reasons for voting for the Democratic Party because they think the Republican Party's racism or, dis- or acts of discrimination are going to do that work for them. And that's, you know, we should know by now that that is not the case after Donald Trump, uh, you know, won in 2016 and almost won in 2020. I'm just going to go down our list so far, which is gerrymandering. Texas is leading the country, as it were. And then also, I think that Texas has these lessons for Democratic politicians about making assumptions about how you're going to get those voters. Like you can see the racism and everyone can see the racism, but you still can't you're still going to have to win votes. And I just wanted to point out that we were talking about how progressive the cities are, and they are very progressive. But I was just reading an interview with Sylvester Turner, who's the mayor of Houston, very progressive in many ways, but he's super friendly with oil and gas. (laughs) You know, I think Shell underwrote one of their climate change, uh, you know, platforms. So you have to do what you have to do, I think. I'm not going to criticize him for that. You know, it's Texas. There's a lot of people employed by the energy industry. There's a lot of politicians who get contributions from the energy industry or rely on the energy industry for jobs. They don't want their constituents to be unemployed. Um, you know, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of rational reasons why the politics of the state are the way they are that are not just simple, like, um, you know, uh, uh, I'm a cowboy, bang, bang. The other thing I I want to point out about the assumptions about how you win voters, I think it's basically intersectionality, which is looking not just at race, right? Um, Also at employment and also at class. And there were tons of uh, demographic studies that looked at Trump voters and found that they might be rural, but they also tended to make more money than other voters. And I think that's also true in the Rio Grande Valley, that what I've seen as far as studying that voting pattern is that it's the immigrants who have been here for a while, have established themselves economically, have established themselves culturally and socially. Those are the ones that are gettable for the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, look, and, you know, there are, I think there are things that people, you know, it's, you know, obviously uh, a lot of the rhetoric around illegal immigration in the United States um, has historically focused on Mexican Americans um, or, or Mexican immigrants, but you know, in South Texas, there are families who have lived there since before Texas was Texas. Uh, you know, so they're not necessarily going to see themselves um, the same way as like the son of a second generation immigrant family is going to see themselves. They're not necessarily going to look um, at immigrants the way people outside of the state who think, oh, you know, if 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 Trump says something racist about immigrants, um, you're going to be offended by that because you're Mexican-American. There, there are a lot of assumptions about people's politics on the basis of cultural backgrounds that they don't necessarily understand or are more complex than they think. Um, and again, this goes back to, uh, you know, this issue of like just assuming that Republicans being atrocious is going to do the work for you. It's just not. And, and, and I think that's 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 a that's something that sounds simple, and I think we, you know it, nobody would disagree with that in the abstract. But I think if you look at sort of the way things have unfolded there in practice, people do expect that to do a lot of the work. 
Speaking of Republicans being atrocious, uh, should we talk about SB8, uh, the tattletale abortion law that's gotten so much attention? Uh, you've written about that uh, from a legal point of view and, and what it means for how uh, anti-choice uh, forced birth laws might make their way through the courts. The law is designed in such a way as to evade judicial review. So the point of the law is to nullify a constitutional right in such a way that the courts can't do anything about it. Um, and if you think about it, it's one of the most cynical things um, you could possibly think of, which is, you know, uh, the, the Texas legislator passed a law that they are now claiming that because they have, have outsourced enforcement to private citizens, that, you know, the Constitution doesn't matter anymore. Now, I realize that it's impossible for these people to think about, you know, to put themselves in somebody else's shoes, but it's a, it's a ridiculous concept. It's a ridiculous concept because then you can just nullify every amendment to the Constitution one by one, every constitutional right anybody ever had, in theory. Now, obviously, it doesn't work like that in practice. Theoretically, it, it would make lynching legal. Right. Um, and, and, and to be honest, I mean, there was a period in American history where that was, you know, the courts it accepted that kind yes. of argument. Yeah. Right. When you look at the, you know, the, the Crookshank case, you know, the, the, the judge was just like, this doesn't violate the 14th Amendment because, you know, the lynching was by a private person and not a government. Um, you know, so the, 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 this sort of, you know, uh, post reconstruction, this like redemption philosophy, um, you know, it, it's 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 the kind of legal philosophy you can only adopt if you are you think of yourself as being in a demographic majority that will never be subject to this kind of power um and it, it you know it does in practice you know i've heard people like well the supreme court wouldn't accept this if they if you did this with gun rights in a blue state and i don't actually agree with that because it would be so much easier to drum up a challenge like right now the, the 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 designers of this law are trying to persuade people not to sue anybody because they want the law to remain on the books they don't want anybody to get standing which would you know uh, you know circumvent the procedural rationale that the supreme court the conservative majority of the supreme court has has used to avoid ruling on the issue thus far and some of the suits that have been filed the private citizen suits that are tattletale informants uh, document what to call them um, are from nutters, you know, and they show up how this the flaws of this law. So I mean, like, so just to, just to, like, I, I feel like I jumped in talking about it before defining what it was. But you know, the law says you can if you can get ten thousand dollars if you could prove that somebody facilitated an abortion after six weeks, which is before most women know they're pregnant. And when other people have tried to take advantage of the bounty here. Um, the people who the supporters of the law had urged the courts against litigating this stuff. But if you if you were in New York and you said you can sue anybody who has a handgun, um, you would basically have like NRA members around the block being like, OK, sue me, because they know that if the case gets to the court, you know, it's going to be six votes. This this, this law is unconstitutional. Um, th they're not worried about. Uh, they're not worried about the same things that you would be worried about in challenging this law as an abortion provider because you know that there are six justices on the court that are hostile to Roe and want to chip away at it. Now, that doesn't mean that the Texas law is going to survive. It doesn't mean that, uh, y y you know, uh, they won't uh, uphold other restrictions necessarily, but it does mean that this framework where they just nullify this particular constitutional right is only available 
because there are six justices on the Supreme Court who have made more or less clear that they don't think that women should have a constitutional right to decide whether or not to end a pregnancy. And I think that lesson, I think that there are two lessons for the rest of the country in in this instance. One is this type of law and this strategy that may be employed elsewhere. And then two, which is something I, I feel like a lot of us know intuitively, but you've been great at articulating explicitly, the court system is no longer following the logic of constitutionality. It is partisan, pure and simple partisan. So I don't think it's simply partisan. I think it's highly ideological. Um, I think it. I think it's highly ideological. So look, you know, I mean, you look at the post-Reconstruction court, those guys, some of them were union veterans. They were, most of them were Republicans. You know what I mean? But when the country turned against the Reconstruction amendments, when it turned against racial equality, those justices had this philosophy of liberty that simply did not include the government defending the rights of black people and black men in particular, uh, um, in terms of, you know, the right to vote. Um, and this court, I don't think like literally they're sitting there thinking, well, what uh, what does the Republican Party want? What is good for right, the Republican right. Party? Uh, partisan they, was the was the incorrect term. But to the extent that they are they, they are engaging in motivated reasoning based on their ideological priors, I think that is 100 percent clear. I think if you look at, you know, I, 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 I think there is one set of rules for the things that they like and other, another set of rules for the things that they don't. And you can see that in their jurisprudence and, uh, you know, the sympathetic hearing they give to certain arguments and not others, the deference they give to certain presidents and not other, others. And you can see this simply in like the quantitative research on the court and how they decide certain cases, which cases they accept, which cases they decide by shadow docket, um, you know, which clients, which plaintiffs they give the benefit of the doubt. I mean, it is it is just like a statistical reality. And the other thing is that the conservative movement has worked for decades, uh, you know, at least since Nixon to, you know, since, you know, and, and really before that, since the Warren Court to turn this court right. They have spent billions of dollars over generations, over decades to put these people on the court. And the people who are currently on the court are on the court because they worked extremely hard to put themselves to to make themselves make it clear that they were um, ideologically sympathetic to the conservative legal movement um, and met the credentials for being both ideological and scholarly uh, to be appointed to the court. They uh, pursued their lifetimes with this ambition to be elevated to this institution. And now they're all telling us uh, no, actually, we didn't. We don't care about this kind of stuff. We're completely in part. It, it is such an atrocious, obvious lie. And what, the reason why they're engaging in it is because they don't want anybody to question why they're doing what they're doing or, and, and whether they're doing the right thing. They want everybody to assume that their every decision, regardless of whether it contradicts their own, um, uh, you know, uh, arguments, their own uh, descriptions of the law, their own uh, standards of behavior. They just don't want anybody to criticize them for pursuing the ideological agenda that they have worked for generations and decades um, to put themselves in a position to pursue. We'll continue our discussion of the lessons that Texas has for the rest of the country after these messages. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Ritual, the multivitamin company you know and trust. You may think protein powders are just for bodybuilders or biohackers, but the truth is, deep down, as in cellular level deep, 
We all need protein and not just for muscles. So Ritual's team of scientists reimagined protein powders from the ground up and inside out, tinkering with how it's made and adjusting it according to who it's for. The result is a delicious plant-based protein. It comes in three premium formulations for distinct life stages and unique nutrient needs. They're all made with the same high standards approach and commitment to traceability that Ritual is known for. So whether you're doing reps or going for a walk, Essential Protein is here to shake things up. You can subscribe to Ritual Protein the same way you subscribe to Ritual Vitamins, and it's a great addition to your morning routine. I find that breakfast is one of the toughest places to get some protein if, like me, you don't really want to cook first thing in the morning. And you don't have to drag out the blender either. You can stir Ritual into your yogurt or oatmeal or bacon into muffins or just shake it. Shake, shake, shake. You deserve to know what you're putting in your body and why. With Ritual's one-of-a-kind visible supply chain, you'll always know what's in Ritual's formulas, where the ingredients come from, and why they're included. There's no added sugar or sugar alcohols. Like all Ritual products, Essential Protein is soy-free, gluten-free, and formulated with non-GMO ingredients. So why not shake up your Ritual? To make trying something new less scary, Ritual offers a money-back guarantee if you're not 100% in love. Plus, my listeners get 10% off their first three months. Just visit ritual.com slash friends to add essential protein today. That's ritual.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Ultimate Ears Fits. I have spent years trying to find the perfect piece of tech. That thing that will make me more productive and focused, help me perform at my best with less wasted time and less effort. I am basically the person that tech companies market to. And I've bought basically every new trinket ever introduced. The Palm Pilot, the Blackberry, the Trio. I bought the first iPod and the first iPhone. With how much we rely on our devices, it's easy to forget about the hardware we're born with. Like the ear. Same as fingerprints. No two are exactly alike. That's why your earbuds probably cause you some discomfort or even physical pain after a while. The Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Custom Fit Earbuds from Ultimate Ears are here to change that. Now, when you think about why you want custom earbuds, you might be thinking about comfort. And the Ultimate Ears Fits wireless earbuds are comfortable. But I love that they fit. I have what are apparently unusually small ears. And most standard earbuds will fall right out if I'm doing anything more intense than like a light jog. But not Ultimate Ears Fits. I can do speed runs, I can do yoga, I can take them bouldering. Ultimate Ears Fits are the world's most comfortable and most reliable earbuds. Premium sound, all day comfort, and all day staying in. You get a guaranteed perfect fit in 60 seconds. Ultimate Ears Fits will stay put when you're on the go, but feel ultra comfortable so you can wear them all day long without pain or discomfort. Using groundbreaking light form technology, Ultimate Ears Fits mold to the unique contours of your ear. Put them in, connect them to the app, and watch the purple LEDs form the earbuds to your unique shape. With eight hours of continuous playback on a single charge and up to 20 hours with a charging case, Ultimate Ears Fits are perfect for listening to your favorite shows, like this one, all day long. If you try Fits and don't love them as much as I do, no worries. Ultimate Ears offers a 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, free shipping, free returns, and a one-year warranty. For a limited time, get 15% off your pair of Ultimate Ears Fits True Wireless Earbuds at ue.com fits. Just use promo code FRIENDS at checkout. That's 15% off with promo code FRIENDS at ue.com fits. 
With Friends Like These is brought to you by Stamps.com. <laughs> so much work goes into doing something fun. I love my job, but keeping up my career you know, takes effort. I like to reduce that effort wherever I can. If you, like me, have a small business, you know there's nothing more valuable than your time, so stop wasting it on trips to the post office. Stamps.com makes it easy to mail and ship right from your computer. Save time and money with Stamps.com. Send letters and packages for less with discounted rates from USPS, UPS, and more. It is year two of pandemic time, and my relationship with the post office is the most intimate and fraught it's ever been. I can't do business or live without it, and more than ever, I just don't want to go there. Stamps.com was useful to me in the before times when it just saved me time. Now it keeps me out of trouble. Since 1998, Stamps.com has been an indispensable tool for nearly 1 million businesses. Stamps.com brings the services of the U.S. Postal Service and UPS shipping right to your computer. Whether you're an office sending invoices, a side hustle Etsy shop, or a full-blown warehouse shipping out orders, Stamps.com will make your life easier. All you need is a computer and a standard printer, no special supplies or equipment. Within minutes, you're up and running printing official postage for any letter, any package, anywhere you want to send it. You'll get exclusive discounts on postage and shipping from USPS and UPS. Once your mail is ready, just schedule a pickup or drop it off. No traffic, no lines. Cut the confusion out of shipping. Stamps.com has a new rate advisor tool. You can compare shipping rates and timelines easily to find the best option. Save time and money with Stamps.com. There is no risk. With my promo code FRIENDS, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. There is no long-term commitment or contract required. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in FRIENDS. That's Stamps.com, promo code FRIENDS. Stamps.com, never go to the post office again. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. All right, we're back with more talk about Texas. Uh, We were just speaking about the ideological turn of the court, which has been in progress for decades. And again, I think something that's been acknowledged in in all kinds of ways, explicitly when it comes to the Supreme Court and in presidential elections. But I do think that a lot of progressives still hold on to an idea uh, that there's some, there is a value in, in, in thinking of the court as somehow, I don't want to say nonpartisan, non-ideological, but um, it it has in the past um, helped the goals of progressives, and it does not anymore. Uh, it seems unlikely at the very top to change anytime soon. 
how should this change the way that progressives think about their tactics or think about their electoral strategies? They need to think about the court the way the conservatives think about the court, which is, you know, um, a battlefield of politics. I mean, there's, there's sort of an irony here, which is that because the legal world, the elite legal world has so many liberals in it, they are very much invested in the prestige of the court. And that is true of writers. It is true of uh, elite litigators. Look, if you have to go before the court, um, you know, and argue cases for clients, uh, it doesn't make sense for you to talk about how, what a bunch of hacks they are. You know what I mean? If you want to send, you know, if you want to be a law clerk, uh, you know, if, if, if you want to send your students, um, you know, uh, to be law clerks to the court, you know, there's just the if you are a reporter who covers the Supreme Court, you are in some ways invested in the credibility of the institution and a, and, and a big um, constituency of the Democratic Party is lawyers. It's elite lawyers. And those elite lawyers are invested in the prestige of the court. And because of that, they have continued within the party to uphold the court's legitimacy as an institution and blunted the critique from other segments of the party, um, you know, uh, regarding the court's partisan lean. I mean, you could see all these op-eds from people who are left wing and, and almost any other regard were like, actually, the court was pretty moderate this year. No, it wasn't. Um, but but if if you're an elite legal, uh, you know, an elite lawyer, th you have every institutional reason to make that argument and to downplay the radicalism that we're seeing. And the, the truth is that historically, there's a very um, unrealistic liberals have a very unrealistic um, understanding of the court that has been shaped by pop culture depictions that center the Warren Court and decisions like Brown v. Board. There was a short period in American history where the court was progressive. For the most of for most of American history, it has not been. It has been a graveyard of constitutional rights uh, for people without power rather than a defender of them. The Supreme Court has consistently sided with the uh, most influential and powerful elements of American society in, in its history. I don't mean this, you know, just this court. I mean, historically, in the long term, the Warren Court was an exception. And it was such an exception that it created this massive backlash um, that brought us, that gave us the court, um, that the, the Supreme, that con, the conservative legal movement used to uh, shape the court to its liking today. Um, and, and, and it's partially because they were saw themselves as outcasts from this elite legal community, even though they are themselves an elite legal community, that they were able to motivate um, their base against, uh, you know, to make the court such a prominent part of their political pitch to their supporters and voters. And despite Bush v. Gore, despite all these other things, you know, the, the, the Democrats have, you know, for a lot of structural reasons, been unable to do the same with their own voters. I think... Uh you might be shocked to hear this. There might be a way that whiteness, that whiteness plays a part here um, in a as related to structural uh, reasons as well, which is that I think, and I'll include myself as having this as a blind spot um, for years, which is that it's almost a nostalgia for the kind of court that the Warren court was and a belief that's easy for white people to have that it's the court that made the difference, that it's the court that created civil rights in this country, right? And not the millions of people of color who pushed for it, you know, over decades. I think that we tend to privilege the idea that like, oh, the, you know, there was all this activism and then the court made a decision and that's what turned the tables. I think there's a way in which uh, John Roberts has been a very effective manager of the court's reputation. 
Um, and, and one of the ways he's done that is, you know, you, you can have decisions like Obergfell, um, you know, you can, you can have decisions, uh, like, uh, the, um, the recent one where Neil Gorsuch uh, defended the right of uh, trans people to be trans people to be protected by civil rights anti discrimination law, um, and these more liberal decisions on particular issues uh, make it look like the court is more liberal than it actually is. So you know, just to look at you know when the court is striking down bans on same sex marriage, it's also gutting the Voting Rights Act. Uh, it's also saying you know. Uh, Racial gerrymandering is fine as long as you're doing it for partisan reasons, um, which basically, you know, pretty much nullifies any prohibition on, on, on racist gerrymandering. I mean, the, the court has, you know, Roberts has done a very good job of making the court seem not as conservative as it is by mixing some of these important decisions, these crucial decisions that expand rights uh, for um, people who are being denied them in the country while limiting them for lots of other people who, um, you know, I think are not, do not necessarily, um, those stories don't necessarily penetrate as deeply precisely because uh, the court is occasionally doing these other things. And I think that another way to look at it, I think I'm just restating what you said, is that Roberts has been careful to make the court look like it's above the culture wars, but it plays very deeply in the structural inequality and maintaining the structural inequality, which is, you know, what the culture wars are really about anyway. The culture wars, you know, happen in order to perpetuate the structure, right? Uh, but a lot of smart politicians know you can kind of play around with that culture war level and make it look however you want it to look to your advantage. But as long as you're controlling the gerrymandering, as long as you're protecting cops, as long as you're, you know, uh, doing the kinds of more deep structural things that this court has done, you're not going to look as bad. I mean, to my mind, the worst thing the court has done, because it's so difficult to unravel, um, is this is is the court's assault on democracy, um, at w of which John Roberts has been, you know, the primary leader. Um, when you're talking about uh, the, the things that they have done to make it possible for politicians to shape the electorate to their liking so they no longer have to be responsible to um, citizens, that is, a, a, a you know, that short circuits the feedback loop that's necessary for democracy to function properly. And Roberts has been at the forefront of that. Um, and he, he, he has held these beliefs that efforts to rectify discrimination are more harmful than discrimination itself, since he was a lawyer in the Justice Department in the nineteen in the nineteen eighties in the Reagan Justice Department, like you can you can see memos where uh, Congress was trying to expand Section Two of the Voting Rights Act to say, you know, if if a if a law has the purpose or effect of diminishing the rights of Black people to vote, then you know th then it's it, it violates the act, and he'd say, and he was saying, you know, well, why is it just the effect? And the obvious answer is that if you simply are good at hiding the discrimination, then you can get away with it. And that's just something that um, the people, uh, the, the conservatives on the court simply do not care about. If you simply do not, and that you saw this again in, in, in Roberts' ruling on the Muslim ban, as long as you simply don't say the naughty words, the racism doesn't count. Even though, it, 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 even if it has the exact effect that it would have if you were consciously discriminating, um, it doesn't it doesn't matter to Roberts as long as you don't say the, the magic naughty racism words. Um, and to me, this is 
you know, this is the most dangerous thing the court has done and the one that I think has been most obscured by Roberts's careful management of the court's reputation and these occasional big cases that have gone the liberals way. Um, now, the, the thing that's interesting or that's dangerous about this particular moment is they don't need to placate Roberts anymore. Roberts is always the one, despite the fact that he's very conservative, he's always been the one who's pumping the brakes saying, you know, let's do this a little bit now, a little bit later, a little bit later, a little bit later. He, he, has, he has tried not to say, let's not show all our cards at this particular moment because then there, it might cause a backlash. But now they don't need his vote anymore because Ruth Bader Ginsburg died and was replaced by Amy Coney Barrett. So they're not, they're no longer interested in placating Roberts, which is why you see things like this Texas law, uh, where it, it, it obviously violates the constitutional right and the, and, and the conservatives on the court throw up their hands and say, well, gee, you know, we don't, we don't know what to do with this. I mean, they know exactly what to do. Um, they just don't feel like doing it. That law is so pernicious. I feel like we I'll just explain a little bit more why it works, even without the challenges that are supposedly the enforcement mechanism, which is that you can't take that risk as an abortion provider. Um, that the possibility that you'll have to, you know, respond to suits, that you'll be, you know, uh, in litigation forever is what is taking people out of um the you know business of providing reproductive services right i mean everybody you know everybody understands litigation risk right like if you're going to get sued you're not going to do it so one last thing before we have to wrap up which is uh texas leading the nation in the failure of public services and uh you know we got a really dramatic um example of that during the big freeze i know you 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 were affected by i mean i who wasn't everybody in the state was affected Uh, by it Did you see those TikToks? There were like people who who were who were doing things like their hot tub was frozen solid. They'd like walk outside and they'd be like, "Not it," you know. It was crazy. I mean, like in t- Texas is just like the the vegetation in Texas, the homes in te- like n- nothing in Texas is built for a freeze of that magnitude. And yet, one ha- had happened ten years earlier, and the legislature just did nothing about it because you know there were there were there were there were abortion bans to pass. Yeah, I um, it killed a tree in my yard and also killed uh, some cactuses. Actually, it killed a ton of cactuses in my neighborhood. It's very sad. Like, these are the hardiest plants in existence, you know. Um, and they're just like, and also they started to smell really bad. Uh, and this is an example of a few different things. I think the first thing you just referenced, which is that Republicans are governing in order to get positive coverage from Fox News and not to serve their constituents, right? Because it doesn't make sense from, if you think of democracy in a logical fashion, (laughs) you would want to provide public services to your constituents, right? Like, that makes sense. But in Texas, that's not how they think about it. How Fox News covers you determines how the Republican primary electorate uh, perceives you. Um, and the outcome of the Republican primary determines whether you stay in office, then you are now governing for like 25% of the population. Um, And and you are governing for that 25% of the population that bases its opinions entirely on, 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 you know, what Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity have to say. Um, And that's just, you know, that is a really distorted way to manage um, a state because, you know, you, you, you end up with situations like Greg Abbott, not simply not doing a vaccine mandate, but trying to prevent 
you know, San Antonio from, you know, uh, compelling its uh, public employees to get vaccinated, which is absurd because, you know, we don't have an option about whether or not to interact with a public employee if you have to go to school or if you, you know, if you're pulled over by a police officer, you know, I don't have an you don't have the option of whether or not to interact with this person. And if they're a public safety person, it's actually, it is so absurd to think that, you know, they can refuse to be vaccinated and therefore endanger every person that, you know, they come into contact with. Um, but that's just, you know, that is, that's, that's the very strange dynamic um, that exists here in the state right now. And it's extraordinarily frustrating. And what you saw in the aftermath was that obviously, you know, Texans were very angry about the freeze because none, you know, none of our homes are built for this. Um, you know, we, I, I had pipes burst, um, you know, pe like people's entire, some people's homes burned down because, you know, the, the fire department couldn't get water out of fire hydrants because they were frozen. Um, and immediately they were well, like- We couldn't get there. I mean, we, yeah. you, we were in Austin, you were, there was a citywide um, order to stay off the streets mm -hmm. um, because people don't know how to drive in this shit. Yeah. And and they don't have the services to clear the roads. And so they were having trouble getting emergency vehicles, any emergency vehicle to mm -hmm. any location, not just fire trucks. And then, you know, what do they do? They went on Fox News and were like, it's all the solar power. It's like, yeah, you know, because Democrats <laughs> for, who, 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 who haven't won state office, statewide office in 30 years, they forced you um, to rely on solar power, which, you know, it was a lie, like the natural gas pipes were frozen. It wasn't so, but, but this was, their instinct was to turn it into a culture war issue. So instead of you thinking, man, these guys who've been running the state for the last, you know, 20 years or whatever, didn't do anything to protect me or to make sure that the energy companies uh, could keep providing power in, in the event of a freak storm. Instead, they were like, ah, oh, the libs did this to you because, you know, they made us use solar power, which is, you know, completely not what happened. And then like the legislature came back and they were like, yeah, you know, energy companies, you can go ahead and like make sure that you um, insulate your uh, a a energy providers from, uh, you know, extreme winter weather, you know, when you get around to it, just, you know, on your own time. <laughs> well, and I was going to say in this way again, like this is this is creeping across the country in part because of this rhetoric. And also I wanted to point out when you say if you're governing to get good coverage on Fox News, you're governing for the 25 percent of the of your constituents that pay attention to Fox News, those twenty that 25% is also the 25% that might not be that affected by the failure of public services, right? Like, and, and that's dramatically illustrated with the freeze, uh, but also you brought up vaccine mandates. That is a form of public service. That is a form of public health and public safety. And what's interesting to me about that turning into culture war is you can't buy your way out of a pandemic, really. You know, this whole thing is such a terrible track. I mean, like, I'm so sick of seeing how many people are dying every day for no reason, for no good reason. It's just a terrible situation. Um, and it's so frustrating that there are so many people in this state who are so beholden to, to getting that good coverage from Fox um, and to getting that kind of attention that they're you know completely disregarding the welfare of their constituents. Um, over a, an extremely effective vaccine that was produced so quickly in order to get us back to normal. Um, and it, it's, it's like they want this, this horror to last as long as possible. With Friends Like These is brought to you by BetterHelp. Do you hate being emotionally exhausted from trying to maintain basic social ties? Well, 
BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can connect in a safe and private online environment, making it so convenient you can begin communicating in under 24 hours. It's not self-help, it's professional counseling. Send a message to your counselor 24-7 and you'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all without ever having to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. The service is available for clients worldwide and it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. They provide access to counselors with expertise that may not be locally available. Licensed professional counselors specialize in depression, anger, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, and trauma. Anything you share is confidential. You can check out the testimonials posted daily to their site, and in fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp, they're recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. I want you to start living a happier life today. As a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com slash friends. Join over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, better, H-E-L-P.com slash friends. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Monk Pack. Healthy snacks have a bad reputation, and let's be honest, most don't taste very good. They don't fill you up, and they certainly don't satisfy your cravings. But this episode is sponsored by Monk Pack who make snacks that taste like our favorite sugary treats, but with one gram of sugar or less. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars contain just one gram of sugar, two to three grams of net carbs, and they're only 140 calories. They're gluten-free, grain-free, plant-based, and non-GMO, with no soy, trans fat, sugar alcohols, or high-intensity sweeteners. While they're great for anyone following a keto lifestyle, you absolutely do not have to be keto to love these. They're the perfect snack for anyone who is trying to eat better or cut back on sugar and carbs without sacrificing taste. And it's really true, Monk Pack bars are for people who want to eat better without thinking about eating better. I gave a bunch to my neighbor who actually does keto, and she told me her husband and son got into them and ate a bunch of them without knowing they were keto. And now I have to give her some more granola bars. Monk Pack Keto Granola Bars have a soft and chewy texture and come in delicious flavors like coconut cocoa chip, peanut butter, and blueberry almond vanilla. They're perfect for a quick breakfast, a snack between Zoom calls, or a guilt-free dessert. They taste incredible. You can't beat the low-sugar nutrition they provide. And by shopping online, you can avoid another trip to the grocery store by getting Monk Pack delivered right to your door. If you don't want to run out of your favorite flavor, get a subscription. You'll save 10% on every order, and they ship automatically. Try it for yourself and you'll see. We have a special deal for our listeners as well. Get 20% off your first order of any Monk Pack purchase by visiting monkpack.com and entering our code WFLT at checkout. Monk Pack is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% satisfaction guarantee. If you don't like it for any reason, they'll exchange the product or refund your money, whichever you prefer. To get started, just go to monkpack.com, that's M-U-N-K-P-A-C-K.com, and select any product and enter the code WFLT at checkout to save 20% off your purchase. Monk Pack, delicious, nutritious food you can count on. And we thank them for sponsoring this podcast. With Friends Like These is brought to you by Girlfriend Collective. I hate that basic as a word has a bad rep because I love basic. I love basics. I love things that are dependable and comfortable and familiar. I love pumpkin spice and I love my leggings from Girlfriend Collective. They're cozy. I can wear them anywhere and they make me feel good about myself. 
Girlfriend Collective makes sustainable, ethically made activewear for everyone. They make cute and comfortable bras, leggings, shorts, tanks, tees, and more. Their sizing is inclusive, ranging from extra, extra small to 6XL. Whether you're working out, running errands, or doing nothing at all, Girlfriend Collective has functional fabrics, colors, and styles for any activity. Their best-selling leggings are squat-proof, come with pockets, and have different levels of support, whether you need compression or softness. Join the collective today. Feel good about what you buy and comfortable in what you wear. And for listeners of this show, Girlfriend Collective is offering $25 off your purchase of $100 or more when you go to girlfriendcollective.com slash friends. That's $25 off $100 or more when you go to girlfriend.com slash friends. That's girlfriend.com slash friends friends. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Well, that brings us to a, a place perhaps to wrap up, which is um, the phrase that you coined that's become uh, something of a motto, or we've applied it as a motto to, to this era of conservati- conservatism, which is the cruelty is the point, right? When I said the pandemic, you can't buy your way out of the pandemic, and, and I too am in grief and uh disbelief still, even though it's been happening for almost two years now, uh, that we have a party in charge in Texas that is killing off its own constituents, right? But more, not their constituents. Those are, those are actually the people that are dying in higher percentages. That, I almost want to believe, is the cruelty of the point there? That seems so beyond the pale to me. I mean, I think the obvious thing here is that this has become an absurdly polarized issue where it's like if the libs want vaccines and the vaccines must be bad it's it, it, it is it is a, it is a nightmare for public health uh that's something that was you know a wide consensus um not that long ago and you were considered a kook if you um had these theories about these conspiracy theories about vaccines this is now like um you know, a regular, uh, this is now a part of, part of mainstream politics. It is extremely unfortunate. Um, and I think that, that, you know, you could see this in the way that Republican primary discourse operates, which is that whatever makes the libs mad must be good. And you could see that to some extent, um, among Democrats, you know, there is a, you know, it, it is human nature to have this kind of knee-jerk reaction in a uh, polarized atmosphere, um, but you don't see it to the same degree. 
which is that people are literally putting public health at risk because of this ideological polarization around vaccines. Um, and I think, you know, that phrase, you know, I, I try to be careful um, because I feel like it gets misused a lot, but it's not a question, you know, cruelty as a political phenomenon is not confined to the, to the right or to one party. It's a part of human nature. The distinction now is that it has been elevated to a political phenomenon by um, a political party that has as part of its project, the exclusion of particular people from the political process um, because they fear, uh, you know, sharing or being sharing the country where they're being accountable to those people. And this in part is the result. I mean, it's not just Fox News, but this sort of apocalyptic worldview where it's like the liberals want to destroy everything you hold dear. You're, you know, your countrymen are your greatest enemy and therefore you are justified in engaging, um, you know, in acts of cruelty towards them because after all, they're threatening uh, your entire way of life and everything that makes America great. So if we, you know, if we need to disenfranchise them, if we need to strip them of, uh, you know, particular groups of people of particular race, and that's all justified because otherwise those people um, would try to destroy us too. Trump used to talk like this all the time. So I'm not sure if the vaccine, like the specific vaccine dispute fits under that rubric inherently. I mean, I could see the argument for it, but I think the larger issue is this is the sort of underlying um, underlying structural uh, issue within our politics, which is that you have a party that can wield power while not necessarily winning a majority of the votes. Um, and they do that by cultivating a sense of apocalyptic dread in their base. And what that does is their base now wants, um, they want to be defended. So they want bad things to be done to the people who they feel like are threatening them. Um, and again, you know, you look throughout American history, there's not confined to one type of person, one type of ideology, one type of party, but you do see it as an operating of the principle of the Republican Party in the Trump era. And I think until the Republican Party becomes beholden to constituencies that do not see the world that way, um, it, 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 that is, it becomes more beholden to a more um, religiously, ethnically, ideologically diverse constituency, um, you know, we're going to see that type of politics. Uh, we're going to see American politics still being dominated by this type of dynamic where cruelty is elevated as a virtue. Well, that's a very sobering thought. <laughs> and maybe we'll just sit in silence with the sobering thought. But I wonder if you have any ideas about the way out of this situation. Yeah, I do. I mean, I think, you know, there have to be structural changes to the system, which Democrats have been thus far unwilling to make um, so that, you know, uh, whether it's uh, malapportionment in the Senate, whether it's gerrymandering in the House, whether it's the Electoral College, you have a system that enhances the influence of this particular group of voters, um, you know, that allows the Republican Party to will power, you know, only with a minority of the votes. Um, and so, you know, when you look back in American history, the Democratic Party was once the party of white supremacy. Um, it, you know, it was once the party of Jim Crow. And what changed that was this coalition of labor unions, of black voters, of, of liberal whites in urban spaces who, uh, you know, banded together to steer the Democratic Party in, in another direction. It was a bottom up process. 
Um, and w what happened was that these constituencies forced uh, the Democratic Party to towards civil rights and away from Jim Crow. Uh, and the only way out of this I can see is if the Republican Party becomes beholden to constituents to constituencies that steer them away from this radicalization against democracy. And I, I'm not sure how that works. I think, you know, it is not a coincidence that unions played such a big role in that progressive push in, in the mid 20th century. I think that unions are depolarizing institutions in the sense that they uh, facilitate relationships across cultural divides that lead people to see people, to see others who may be different from them in some ways as being in the same boat with them. And I think that as their diminishment has not only led to um, a uh, over influence of capital in the halls of power, but it is also, you know, in, in such a way that, you know, if you look at the way the legislation, the legislating of the infrastructure bill is going right now, um, it's just, it feels like the lobbyists are passing notes uh, to, 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 to particular senators and saying, oh, you can, you can't, you can't support this. And then all of a sudden, you know, you think you've reached an agreement and they're like, oh, well, well, you know, as a matter of fact, I actually don't think I can support this. If you had like a, if labor was stronger, if it exerted a countervailing force uh, on the business lobby in Congress, I think you'd see a very different legislative process. But more importantly than that, on a social level, I think America has lost a lot of these mediating institutions um, that help people come together across various cultural, religious, racial lines in a way um, that uh, turns down the political temperature. Um, so I think there's like a cultural aspect and I think that there is a structural aspect. And, you know, the distinction is that there's a and you can use legislation to alter both. But the Democratic Party, as it exists today, has been unwilling to do that. I may be able to help us stick a landing back in Texas uh, in responding to, to your thoughts there, which is that you know, we began this conversation by talking about some of our experiences with people judging Texas uh, and painting Texas with a broad brush, even though there are more Democrats in Texas than many other states, and uh, there are incredibly progressive cities and districts in Texas. And there's a part of me that gets some hope from the way that Texans still identify as Texans still. Um, I was talking with a friend of mine about Austin and how Austin sometimes likes to define itself against Texas, you know, but you scratch an Austinite and you'll, you'll get Texan. You'll get someone that's ready to defend <laughs> Texas. And I was at a football game over the weekend and this is just so cliche, but like, it was kind of great to see a really diverse crowd just hanging out together, <laughs> you know? Um, it was college football, which I think the audience is more diverse than for the NFL. Um, and no one, I don't know. I mean, it, it, am, I, am I painting my college football game memories with a little too rosy a glow? Or do you think that there is some hope in the fact that it may be a way that Texas can be an example or be an opportunity um, to have an identification that goes beyond politics and goes beyond identity? Um, I think that 
the emergence of Blue Texas, if it ever happens, is going to substantially moderate the politics of the state. Not simply because um, it'll be a blue state then, because I don't necessarily think that's going to happen. I just mean when a Democrat is elected to a statewide office, I think that what it does is it compels you to pull back. Like, I think the only the only check on this kind of extremism um, from politicians is when their interests are to moderate. Um, and that's, you know, in some ways, that's what we're talking about here. So, you know, I can imagine a future in which Democrats, if they do not continue to take particular groups of voters for granted, um, somehow manage to win a statewide election in Texas. And that, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, they will dominate the state from that point forward, um, but it may compel the Republican Party to pull back and say, okay, if we want to stave off, you know, if, if we don't want to, if we don't want further political losses, we need to be more responsible in our governance and we need to stop trying to exclude particular groups of people from the political process in order to win rather than trying to win people over. You know, that's optimistic. I don't necessarily know that the future is going to unfold that way. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, I, I, I would I would not be tremendously shocked if it did happen. I think, I'm, well, we can sort of in there, but I'm also going to offer something, which is I think what you might to, to translate what you're saying into the cultural side of things. I think right now we were talking about a GOP that governs for its base and not for its constituents. I think the problem may not be that there are liberal Texans that think of themselves as liberals first and not Texans, um, to the extent that being a Texan is important. Uh, And maybe it is. Yes, it is in in democratic politics, because you want to think about your whole state when you're voting, right? Uh, You don't want to think just about your tribe. But also Uh, Texans are very proud. You know, they're very, you know, Texans are very proud of being Texans, whether they're liberal or conservative Texans, it's like, it is, it is an, it's part of their identity. And I was, what I was going to say is that maybe the mistake here isn't that like liberals aren't really Texans. It's that the Republicans in Texas have forsaken their Texas identity um, for a very narrow slice of their constituency. They're conservatives, ideological conservatives first, and by definition are not thinking about the good of the state because they're ignoring 75% of it. Um, I think that they have tried to define Texas in, in such a way, such as that the only as way that to be- 25%. Right. <laughs> and the only way to be an authentic Texan is to be a right winger, which is not unlike the way that Republicans do the whole thing with real America. Um, and I think, you know, that kind of politics is only viable as long as you have, um, you know, these structures that sustain minority rule. Um, you know, and and again, the only thing that can beat that is for politicians' incentives to shift. It's you know, relying on their um, the, their goodness of heart uh, it just doesn't work. Well, that's a new depressing place to end. <laughs> Sorry, this is I'm, I'm I don't know. extremely what? fun. You can't at count on college football to bring us to bring us all together. I don't know, Adam. Come I on. I mean, in some ways, yeah. I mean, in some ways, yeah. I mean, look, there are there are like non-political cultural touchstones that can bring people together. Um, the problem is um, that you know, and, and you know, the reason why those things bring people together is because then you know, if you have things that you like 
than another person who disagrees with you on everything else, but also likes. They're they're points of commonality that can be used to build a relationship. Um, I I mean, I do think there is something to that. Uh, The problem is we don't have enough of those things that are not just, you know, not just college football games, but actual like institutions in American life that are bringing people together across those backgrounds so that we're not relying on media characters of each other to make uh, to make political decisions, which is, you know, I think partially our fault, partially, you know, the way media works today, the way it functions, um, and also partially the way that political leaders have understood the way that they can win votes. Um, you know, but look, nothing lasts forever. I don't know when this particular political dynamic that we're in right now is going to end um, or under what circumstances it will end. Um, Hopefully those circumstances will be favorable, but I don't think your instinct is wrong to say, you know, people who have very different political views coming together, you know, to celebrate this particular thing and therefore spending time around each other and knowing each other better um, is one small way to get past these, um, you know, the sort of apocalyptic vision of politics. I just don't know. I'm not sure that there's enough of it in the world that we currently live in. I'll take that bone you have thrown to me. Thank you. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show again. And thank you so much for being a friend to the show in general. It's always... Thank you so much for having me. Uh, I, I won't say it's a pleasure to talk to you because you are not fun at parties, um, but I'm- you're great. <laughs> and <laughs> I always learn so much. And I just really appreciate you taking the time uh, to be with us. Thank you so much. A big thanks to Adam Serwer, who is an amazing writer and, again, author of the book, The Cruelty is the Point, The Past, Present, and Future of Trump's America. Be sure to pick up your copy wherever books are sold. This show is a production of Crooked Media. Leslie Martin is our producer. Patrick Antonetti is our audio editor. Take care of yourselves. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.